In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. St. John, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. I heard that maybe a couple people might have a question or two. Um, one person, when I walked over there, was saying, uh, some people were asking about what is metaphysics or something like that. Was there someone asking about that? All of you? Um, <laughs> Metaphysics is a very important part of philosophy. Uh, the popes in general, at least those that speak about it, uh, say that it is an essential part of our study. It'd be good for all of us to study it, really, um, as long as it's in a simple or capable way of, of transmitting it. Um, metaphysics is not some part of a New Age bookstore. Okay? <laughs> That's very important. It's been hijacked. The term has been hijacked. Uh, metaphysics is a weird term that was invented by a librarian. Uh, not by, it wasn't invented intentionally. It was um, based off the books of Aristotle. Aristotle, he wrote a bunch of books, and he wrote a physics. Okay? And the physics is pretty much what it sounds like. It's the basis of physics, and even... To a certain extent, we could say it's the philosophical side of the mathematical side, which we use modern, in modern physics. And then he said, there's another book. This is another book that comes after the physics. And so the librarian saw that, and he said, okay, so we'll call it metaphysics. So it's the book that comes after the physics. That's all the title means. <laughs> so already, let's demystify it a little bit. It's a weird cataloging term um, that's kind of stuck and makes us feel like, okay, which is not supposed to. Um, the actual title for that kind of philosophy, uh, that branch of philosophy, is First Philosophy. According to Aristotle, that's what title he gave it. And basically, it's the study of existence or we all exist, right? I hope, right? 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 We all exist, right? Um, and what does it mean to exist? What, what does it mean to exist? And what can you say about that? Um, when they talk about life, that would be the ology of bio, biology. So I'm trying to understand what does it mean to be alive, you know? Um, that's, that's wonderful. But here in metaphysics, I'm not asking what does it mean to just be alive. I'm asking what does it mean to even exist? What is existence? And usually in, in that branch is where we're going to talk about sources of existence. Where do, where do things come from? Where does existence come from itself? And so you'll often talk about God or what religious traditions call God. In metaphysics, we'd call it like pure act, or the first mover. Um, but yeah, so it's a branch of philosophy that is 
very, very healthy and very, very good. Often today, we don't have a solid vision on what does it mean to be. And because we don't have a solid vision, we're manipulated and deformed. Our vision of who, who am I, what does it mean for me to exist, is so poor that uh, we're easily manipulated by the ideologies of modern society. So it's important to see that in Christianity, there has always been a metaphysical view of reality. I mean, we have a position on what does it mean to be? What does it mean to exist? And what is existence? And for the most part, in the history of Christianity, we've taken on the metaphysics of Plato than Aristotle. Plato and Aristotle. And they'd be great philosophers. And it'd be wonderful to talk about it. We can make it in a kind of like a, re, a simple way. I could try to make it hard for you too if you want. If you want harder stuff, I'll give you that. Um, simple way if you like. Um, often, for example, we'll give it to the sisters of Mother Teresa. One place we give it to the sisters of Mother Teresa so they can teach the prostitutes what does it mean to exist, which is very nice. It's an important thing because how do you know that you even have dignity or nobility? What is the role of the intelligence in, in your life? You know, what is truth? And so all those questions are metaphysical questions. Great. That's also my favorite subject in the whole world. So <laughs> It's also something I could talk for hours and hours and hours and hours about. I did my thesis on that. It's very big. Um, good. Other questions? Anything for clarification? Mm. Cool. So we went through a lot, and hopefully you'll get a chance to go back over it, either through the recording or through your notes, um, and unpack a little bit. That was kind of my hope for the last previous hour, rather, for the previous hour, was that you'll have something to unpack a little bit. Because sometimes I can go really slow and nicely and easily through something. But then I know if it was me out there, even before I study, I'd be like, more, more. Um, but this whole aspect is something that's always really, really, really touched me, what we're leading into now. The Sacred Heart is Christ's heart, of course, and given to us. It is the way that God, actually, from all of eternity, has chosen to reveal his love and give his love to us. And it's very nice. Remember how I was talking about how the word is coming from the intelligence and the spirit is the love? Well, now, in the person of Christ, he is the word, right? And so, in his life, you're going to find God's wisdom. God's wise plan for you lived out in the person of Christ. He's literally God's wisdom incarnate. His word incarnate. 
And what is his word? His word is going to be to lead us into the truth and the fullness of the truth. And what does that mean? Well, we see it at the cross. Truth is not a concept. It's a life. It's a life fully given. And so in the sacred heart, we find the truth lived unto the end. It's this heart fully given, completely faithful. Yesterday we spoke a little bit about how today in society we have this kind of desire that um, everything in us be actualized, or everything in us be like intense, intense all the time. You definitely find that at the cross. The cross is intense, <laughs> that's for sure. But it isn't just to be intense. It's to be offered in love as a holocaust. It's to pave the road for your soul. Remember how St. Therese said, I thirst. When Jesus says, I thirst, it's because he thirsts for souls. It's the same thing as saying uh, the lamb opens up the seals. Meaning he is the lamb by dying. Jesus is thirsting for your soul and paving the road for your soul <laughs> more than just thirsting he's saving you he is saving you also we spoke about how we have this in not just the desire to be intense but all that we carry inside should be conformed to what we do so now i made examples like nowadays nobody wants to work on digging ditches but they all want to have their little cafe that they run off in the corner of some little town you know or to do this little ideal business in a non-profit kind of thing or you know and it's a different generation where uh, they they want it to be kind of like this ideal like quaint thing very strange <laughs> But nevertheless, here too, here too, he's not looking, he is also showing us this road to meaning, which is what our modern society is looking for. In his wisdom, and the wisdom of the sacred heart, he's showing us this road to meaning. In taking responsibility by carrying his cross and then offering his life unto the end, he shows us the road of meaning by picking up his cross, not just out of stoicism, just because he's got to do it, just do it, not just because of that, but also because he loves his father. And so it's really nice because the word still loves the father and he's returning it to the father. And it's beautiful. But what's different is now with the Sacred Heart, it's not just the Word. It's as if all of creation came forth from God, and now all of creation is returning to God. In the Sacred Heart. It's as if all of creation was going out from Him, because He created it all. And now he's saying, I want all of creation 
to share in my heart, to concretely share in my heart. And so I will send my son, I will send the word out to become flesh. And when it became flesh, what did he do? He didn't, even in the crib, sometimes when you see the baby Jesus, um, he'll be holding a crucifix already. Sometimes in devotionals, especially like in Italy and in France, you'll see the child Jesus in the crib or in the manger, and he's holding a crucifix already. And it's very symbolic, obviously, because I don't think he literally was in history. <laughs> it's very symbolic of the fact that even when he was born in the manger kind of thing, he was already here to offer up our world, our creation, all that is, back to his Father in love. And so the cross itself is a Trinitarian act. It's a Trinitarian act right from the very beginning because it's the Son, that Word, made flesh. But it's different from just the Trinity, right? It's the Trinity, well, the Word, plus our humanity. That's what's new. What's new is now our humanity is participating in this motion of the Trinity, this eternal love that existed before the world existed. Before the world was created, that eternal love existed. The Word, or the Son, loved the Father, and the Father loved the Son, even before the world was created. And what's going to be new now with the Sacred Heart is that the humanity, unto the end, all the way, is going to participate in this motion, in this movement. John 17, Now, Father, I have completed the work which you have given to me. Glorify thou me with the glory I had with thee before the creation of the world. It's interesting. Remember that passage, of course? <laughs> it's John 17, verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the creation of the world, he says. That's this glory. This glory. He's saying, now glorify me, meaning glorify my humanity. Bring into our humanity the glory of the Trinity, the glory of the eternal God. And it's not for no reason that it's at the moment when he does that, when he says, I have accomplished the work you have given to me, that his heart is pierced. It's interesting. Remember, what do we say about the Trinity? Uh, it's something that a lot of people probably learn when they're little, I hope. Um, that Trinity is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's the Father who loves the Son, and the Son who loves the Father. And it's the Holy Spirit that comes as, sometimes we'll use the word spiration, will come forth from the love of the two. He comes forth from the love of the two. Remember that? You heard that? Has anyone not heard that before? Just to help me, because then I know where everyone's heard that. 
speak now or forever rest in peace. Okay. Um, the father loves the son, and the son loves the father, and from the two comes pure love, or the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And now, what's going to happen is it's as if the heart of Christ enters into it, the humanity. And so when the humanity is offered to the Father, and the Father loves Jesus back, at, we can draw a little sacred heart right there. <laughs> um, draw a little sacred heart right there. It's wounded, right? And from it flows the Holy Spirit now into our humanity. So there's a new motion of the Spirit coming forth from the heart of Christ, right? And that Spirit, we say this is the moment when the Spirit goes into humanity, right? comes into the humanity. Why? Because the humanity just began to partake in the Trinity. Right? If that makes sense. Okay? Now, so the water and the blood flow. There's another moment too. What's the moment when you think of the Holy Spirit coming down? What do you call it? Pentecost. Pentecost. Well, what happens in nine days before Pentecost? The ascension. The ascension. And the same thing. It's just deeper levels, deeper levels of Christ's humanity entering into the heart of the Father. He says, Vado ad patrem. I am going to my Father and your Father. And in the ascension, he's climbing up in his humanity because his divinity, this side, never left the Father, right? Did the word leave the Father physically? No, he never left. What's new is the humanity. The humanity is going up to the Father. And he ascends. And once he gets up there, he's now, we now have the humanity of Christ in the heart of, the God, of God, offering himself. That's what we call the high priest, you know? That's why we speak about him being the high priest in Hebrews. And that's why that was the second reading on the day of the ascension, was the high priest in Hebrews. You know, because he's climbing up and he climbs up back to the Father, and the Father, and then nine days later, the Holy Spirit comes down upon humanity. You know, there's a direct connection. It's because the humanity is now in the Trinity. And now the Spirit comes to humanity. If and only if you partake in his heart. And how do you partake in his heart? We alluded to it a few times, but you may already be able to guess it. Concretely, in the Bible, how do you participate in his heart? Or let's put it another way. How do you partake in Christ? The Eucharist. Or baptism. Baptism being that first step. Eucharist being that daily step, being that daily step, that ultimate step, right? Um, 
And so it's not like, that's why we say, you cannot be saved if you're not baptized. We say that very strongly. Now, what do we, then we say, okay, nowadays, like, can you be saved if you're not baptized? Well, if it's no fault of your own, we can imagine, again, I say we can imagine, because it doesn't say it in the Bible, that God can save you. But what it says in the Bible is go out and baptize all the nations. <laughs> you know, it's very clear. And would a merciful God neglect someone in the jungle who, you know, those famous, enough? of course, of course not. I mean, I would hope certainly that God would save the guy in the jungle. But that's not what the Bible's talking about. The Bible's talking about you going out and bringing people in the heart of the Trinity, in the heart of love of God. That's what the Bible's talking about. Uh, so, yeah, the sacraments. So it's like, concretely, how do you participate in his concrete humanity? The sacraments. By eating of his flesh and drinking his blood. If you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Have no life in you. And so it's a very important point. Now, um, at the moment of the cross is that moment where he fulfills everything, where he offers up the humanity back to the Father in the greatest of possible ways. <coughs> God did not have to do this. Remember, God doesn't have to do anything. God doesn't have to do, he doesn't need, he's not lonely up in heaven, going, oh, I'm bored. He doesn't have a sedia, that's for sure. He's not, he's not bored up there in heaven saying, oh, well, well, might as well just create somebody now. Keep myself busy. He's not doing that. He's not doing that. Um, if God creates, he's creating out of his goodness, in order that he might share it with us. It's like he, he wants to be able to do it for your sake, not for his. And that's already with creation. And that's even more true with the crucifixion. <laughs> like if he's talking to us about the crucifixion, it's so that we might partake in his goodness in his love. Now, one of the best retreats I've ever had was my retreat of ordination. And uh, I had a really great grace of reading through the whole Gospel of St. John again uh, on my own, really, and taking all the parts about um, dwelling, dwelling where the Son dwells in the heart of the Father, for example, and seeing how it's from that dwelling in the heart of the Father, or us dwelling in Christ, that we go forth. But it's interesting to take just two points. You know, bosom is not heart. Bosom only appears twice in the Gospel of St. John. Chapter 1, verse 18 and then chapter 13, and it's the one where he rests his head upon the bosom of Christ. So it must be like 20-something. It's interesting. The heart, if we're talking about sacred heart, um, it comes up with a little bit of analogy there. Anyone remember 
Well, anyone have their Bible open? You can turn, to, if you, someone does, no one does? Okay, I can do it. Verse, chapter 1, verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. It's the end of the prologue. I like that passage. I sat there. I was meditating upon it. I was looking at the grammatical aspect of it, too. Um, no one has ever seen God. It's true. I haven't seen God. Um, they say if you see God, you die. So I'm not dead. So Okay. Um, the only son who is. I like that because it's present tense. So he's John's speaking to me right now. And he's saying he is currently. He is currently what? In the bosom of the Father. So he's in the bosom of the Father and simultaneously making what? Making the Father known. The whole point of Jesus coming into this world is to make the Father known. But when he came into this world, he never left the Father. That's a really cool thing. So when Jesus was walking into the baptism, he was still resting in the Father's bosom. When he went out and did miracles of fishes and loaves and whatever, yeah, loaves and fishes, um, he was still resting in the bosom of the Father. When he did, what else did he do? A lot of things, right? Um, when he kicked the demons out, he was resting in the bosom of the Father. When he did the Last Supper, he's resting in the bosom of the Father. His divinity never stopped resting in the bosom of the Father. And if he came down to this earth, it was to reveal the heart of the Father. It really was. It was to reveal that heart of the Father, how much his infinite love is given to us. And that's really interesting. But then if we turn to that passage in um, John 13, if you want to read that one for me. Yeah, it's the one where John rests his head on the heart. Just so we'd be familiar. Because there's an analogy. There's a direct link in between these two passages. I'll find it for you. Um, It would be starting with verse 21. Uh, It comes up again. Keep on reading it. It's the same passage. So this is the Last Supper. And the Last Supper, remember, is the foundation of the Eucharist. It's where we receive the Eucharist. 
John doesn't talk about the Eucharist in this part. It's the Last Supper. John himself is calling himself the beloved disciple, and he's resting his head upon the breast of Christ. Remember, Christ is resting in the bosom or the breast of the Father. And so as Christ is in the bosom of the Father, so is the beloved disciple in the bosom of Christ. And and that's at the moment of the Eucharist that he's doing that. And as he's resting it uh, upon his head upon the bosom of Christ, is at that moment that is revealed to him who will betray. And it's at that moment that he will enter into the love of Christ. So let's imagine the scenario. John, as we remember from last night, he's a son of thunder. He's the one that said, why don't you call down lightning upon this village? You know, remember that? Um, and so he's pretty, he's pretty tough, and he's like, yeah, go get him kind of guy. And Peter, pretty much the same. <laughs> you know, not far. He's going to cut the ear off of Malchus. Peter's sitting there, and he's going, well, John and Peter, they're like, they both hear those words, one of you is going to betray me. Peter turns over to John, and he says, pretty much he says, figure out who he is. <laughs> you know? Basically, it's this whole moment of, let's get him. <laughs> let's get him, kind of thing. Basically, I mean, why else would it, Peter do that? <laughs> why else would Peter do that? He's trying to take it under control and figure out what's going on. He's trying to handle the circumstance. John, caught up in the moment, he too is probably, okay, let's do this. Um, He leans over, he rests his head upon the heart of Christ, or the breast of Christ, and in this moment, his life is going to change. At this moment, everything in his world changes, because in resting his head upon the heart of Christ, he's close to his heart and he senses what is going on in the heart of Christ. And he realizes that Christ knows who's going to betray and he's letting him do it. And so he sees, it's the one, Christ doesn't say, it's him, you can go ahead and get him. He doesn't do that. He instead does an immense gesture of friendship, an immense gesture of love. To, in Ethiopia, when I went there, they would... I would sit down, and then the kids would come up and put things in my mouth, like directly, like feed me. It was supposed to be a sign of respect because I was a priest. So they would put stuff in my mouth, <laughs> 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 you know. Um, and that whole thing of dipping bread in the oil and giving it to him is a sign of love, respect, and friendship. The remnants of this in our culture is the wedding when the bride and the groom feed each other. That's the remnants of that kind of culture. Um, But in their culture at the time, it was done in a sign of intimacy between friends. And so he does that. And then John is understanding that he's passing regimes. It's no longer this king or the lion, but the lamb. That he is allowing him to do it because he can't dominate over him. If he dominates over Judas, he'll just become another devil. He'll just become another tyrant. Remember like Gandalf, who says, I can't take the ring lest I become a new, uh, I become a new Sauron. He cannot, he cannot control Judas. 
Because if he does, he will become the same as the devil. So he lets Judas go. And then John, because he's resting upon the heart of Christ, he's able to go to the cross. Because he doesn't understand everything. He doesn't ever, ever understand everything going on in the church today. You know? He doesn't understand everything. But because he's resting as Christ rests in the Father, so does he rest in his heart, in Christ's heart. We rest in the humanity of Christ, in his heart. And so because he's resting upon the heart of Christ, he's able to simply say, well, I don't understand why you're going to have to be crucified, but I will follow. I will trust. I will love you. And we don't understand why it seems that the church often is crucifying itself or crucified by others. But it's the same exact mystery that the beloved disciples called to, which is the sense of the Eucharist and the sacraments is to rest our head upon his sacred heart. And that's the whole sense of it. It's why you find um, the Eucharistic miracles all being uh, heart tissue, you know, those kind of things. It's because that is the Christian mystery. And that is entering into God's divine providence and his government in returning to him. Now, that's glorification, the mysteries of glory, are different from the sorrowful mysteries. The sorrowful mysteries is our humanity, our, our humanity offering itself entirely to the Father. And now that that has happened, the glorification, the, glor- the mysteries of glory, is his divinity coming down to our humanity. It's like that um, famous sacrifice of uh, Elijah where he puts all the, uh, he says first to the, the priests of Baal that they can do their sacrifice first and he teases them and says, well, where's the fire coming down from the sky? Where's the fire coming down from the sky? And then finally, no fire comes down from the sky and he says, okay, well, we'll make up my pyre and then uh, I'll put my animals up there and then, We'll pour water all over it and make sure that no fire can catch it. And then he prays and the glorification is that fire coming down and licking it all up. Receiving the sacrifice. Receiving the sacrifice. But it's also simple things like the infinite love cannot die. And now that infinite love is in the humanity of Christ. So at the cross, the infinite love of God is victorious. And so it ri- raises him from the dead. It's like cause and effect. It cause and effect. The cross, the infinite love of God wins. Is not, no evil enters into him. He cries out, I thirst, and his heart is pierced. And as an effect of that, the infinite love of God continues to offer, continues to go forth becomes stronger than death, penetrates into his very toes and rises his toes from the grave. So it's very, very good and very beautiful. Now, moving forward, the 
spiritual battle, as mentioned in the beginning, is to continually rest in the heart of Christ. And that's why we'll speak about remaining at peace. You know, the spiritual battle is to not let your peace be disturbed. And how do you do that? By trusting entirely in the heart of Christ and by placing myself in his heart. The spiritual battle is to join Christ in his cross, where at his cross, as he's suffering and dying, in the greatest of ways, he's still at peace. And he's bringing peace, even into the darkest corners. Bringing his light into the darkness at the cross. The spiritual warfare is conquering the evil one, right? And it's at the cross that he conquers the evil one, you know? It's at the cross that the evil one is conquered. It's funny, (coughs) when John is resting his head upon the heart of Christ and Jesus dips his bread into, he dips his bread into the oil and hands it to Judas, what does the next verse say? It's very nice. The next verse is you still have it open? I can open it if not. I got it, yeah. yeah. Instant, keep on going. Well, stop right there for quick and then keep on going right after. So so it is also at the cross. Remember in the movie The Passion? The, the, he has the devil go. Remember that? Remember that? If you haven't seen it, it's okay. But um, there's the uh, Laughter of the devil at the cross and that great victory of the devil at the cross, you know, because he was able to kill God. He didn't kill God, but he did kill God. He didn't kill God, but he killed Christ, who is God. So he killed the humanity, not the divinity. But he did. He did do it. And so he laughs. And keep on reading. It's nice because he goes out and it's dark. Yeah. And it's always that play between light and dark. The next line. Uh, when he had gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of God has been glorified, and in him God has been glorified. If God has been glorified in him, God will in turn glorify him in himself, and will glorify him very soon. Little children, I shall be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. That is awesome. I don't know if you caught it. Let's go back. So he's just had the great, perhaps arguably the greatest of all of his wounds, which was his friend betraying him. The betrayal of the friend is the deepest of wounds that we can have. And that 
he, when he gives the bread to him and feeds him, it's in an act of love. At the moment that he does that act of love, Satan enters into Judas because Judas denies his love. Judas refuses his love. And so Satan enters into Judas. And he goes out and it is night. Then immediately after that, it's like random or providential or intentional. I let you figure that one out. Jesus says, now the Son of Man is glorified. It's very strange. He says, now the Son of Man is glorified. He says it now, now, right after Judas just betrayed me, right after I've had my greatest of wounds, now I'm glorified. And it's as if the love of God has gone unto the end and is victorious. I have accomplished the work you have given to me to go all the, all the way to the end of the love Judas all the way. Give my heart to Judas. To forgive 70 times 7, as we say. To offer my heart to my brother. And now that I've accomplished that, may your glory rain down. May your glory rain down. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. So meaning, if by this action, God, you are glorified, now God, glorify me. If by doing this, giving this bread to Judas and loving him unto the end, I'm giving you glory, Father. Then now send your glory down upon me. And he has a beautiful quote that we all hopefully love. It's that new commandment, the new commandment. He gives it now. He doesn't give it any other time. That's what's so cool about this. He gives it right after Judas betrays. He says, little children. I like that too. I'm his little child. And so, little children. Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say, where I am going, you cannot come. Later on, he'll say it's only by the Spirit. The Spirit himself, when he comes down, the paraclete, the new advocate, will direct us and help us to follow him. We need that Spirit in order to go where he's going. I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. But while you're here, do as I have done. A new commandment I give you. Not to love one another as you wish to be loved. It's not that. To love one another even as I have loved you. As much as I have loved Judas. All the way to the end. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's very, very beautiful. And every time you hear about his glory, the glory is just that. It's, I have glorified you. Now send your glory down. It's why we put halos on the saints. You know? Because they have glorified him. And now may his glory rain down upon them. The whole point of the resurrection is just that. It's the glory raining down upon the humanity. It's the whole point of the Pentecost. It's the glory raining down upon the church. With that... 
May you enter into his glory. May you live of his fraternal charity. May you understand that the sacred heart is to rest your head upon his heart. And may you find peace in that abandonment to his divine providence, which his providence is taking you to the cross, but it's taking you beyond the cross, taking you to the offering of yourself and love so that you might glorify God. And in glorifying God, you might receive his glory. And what does it mean to go to the cross? It means to love your brother unto the end. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have a little bit of time if anyone wants to ask any questions.